Father God, we thank you, Lord. We thank you so much for oh, just your blessing upon blessing upon blessing, Lord. And as we talk about this morning, Lord, we also thank you for your encouragements. The encouragements, Lord, that come when we need them. When life is difficult, when times are tough, when trouble is around us. Lord, I pray this morning that you will do much to open your word to our hearts and minds and through your spirit. That, Lord, we will understand and we will interpret it rightly and apply it accordingly. And we pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we go ahead and stand for the reading of God's word. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. This morning we're looking at verses 16 to 17, but we'll go ahead and get a a, a running start with that and, and back up to verse 13, which we have been reading over the last several months. Again, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 beginning in verse 13. The Apostle Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica, But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. And it was for this He called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. Now, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Lord Caradon, who was the British envoy to the United Nations back in 1969, spoke at a luncheon held by the American Bible Society. He recalled the time when he had served as governor of Cyprus in the midst of a very troubled political situation. And knowing of his devout father's concern, the young governor was not surprised when he received a cable from England containing the words 2 Corinthians 8-9. He knew the passage. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down but not destroyed. It was a message of encouragement and assurance. Well, back to the anxious father went this cable, Romans 5, 3, 4. The reply cable was a testimony of faith and hope. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience and patience experience And experience hope. Friends, as we return to our passage of 2 Thessalonians this morning, we will be considering five encouragements for 
a difficult life. Now, let us be reminded here that this whole section of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, has been all about end times events, specifically focusing on the day of the Lord and the man of lawlessness. And, and as we've said previously, the day of the Lord is that time of God's future judgment and wrath upon unbelievers that surrounds the return of his son, Jesus. And then also the man of lawlessness, a.k.a. the Antichrist, is the catalyst for these events. We then came to verses 13 to 15, where Paul switches gears and he is thanking and praising God for their salvation. And this led us then on an eight-part mini-series we called Salvation and the Sovereignty of God. Then in verse 15, Paul tells them that because of these truths, they should stand firm and they should hold on to the gospel, the gospel traditions that they have been taught. And if you remember, the reason Paul is exhorting them to do so is because the church at Thessalonica at that time as a new believing church was under intense persecution and affliction and suffering. So says our previous text. Due to the adversaries all around them who not only wanted nothing to do with Christianity, but who also were extremely antagonistic about it as well. This then brings us now to verses 16 and 17. And I want to tell you some some incredibly encouraging words from Paul as as a, a benediction of sorts, a pronouncement of God's Blessing upon them amidst their persecution and affliction and suffering. And it's not that persecutions aren't, aren't, aren't prevalent um, today, but let's face it, here in the U.S., it's not quite what they were dealing with back then. And it's not what other countries are dealing with in other places around the world where it can be extremely intense for Christians, and it can even cost them their lives. But the encouragements that we hear from Paul in these two verses are not just for those who are being persecuted, but but really can be applied to any area of affliction or pain or suffering or hardship or trial or difficulty. Friends, if you haven't noticed, life is difficult, isn't it? It's difficult. And our Lord, our Lord knew this. He, he knew this when he said in Matthew 6, 3, 4. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This coming from a man who was tempted As we are a man whose sweat was like drops of blood as he agonized over the suffering that he would go through from his arrest to his crucifixion. And loved ones, we will all go through the fires and troubles of life. And some of you are going through them right now. At this very moment. 
And some of these trials and afflictions that show up in our life, some of them are short-lived. Maybe they're for a, a day or, or, or a week or, or maybe a month. And, and, and some of your difficulties and hardships last several months. Maybe they even last a year or two. And some of you will experience years of pain and suffering. And my job this morning is not so much to help you diagnose what your problems may be. My guess is you have a pretty good idea when these kinds of things are upon us. These things tend to be obvious. Maybe with the exception of when sin is involved, that tends to be something we're more blinded to. And of course, this is why, as we learned last week, we should be always examining ourselves and testing our faith. But my directive this morning from the Word of God is to offer you encouragement. Encouragement that will help you get through the storms of life. And, And notice, friends, right off the bat, where this encouragement doesn't come from. The encouragement that we're talking about this morning doesn't come from certain things. I mean, does Paul say... To turn to the world for your encouragement? Does he say to turn to unbelievers for encouragement? Or even to relationships for encouragement? Does he say that you should turn to money or job or, or career or hobbies or school or entertainment or the internet or even nature for encouragement? No. He says very specifically at the beginning here, of verse 16, that the encouragement you are to receive comes directly from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He says that himself. It's, it's, it's emphatic. It's for emphasis, reminding you, too, friends, that, that, that Jesus is not some far away, distant Lord. But rather, he is our Lord. And he is your Savior. And he is our anointed He went to the cross on our behalf, suffering, dying, and resurrecting for us. For us. Romans 6 tells us that we were baptized into his death, buried with him, and raised with him so that we too might walk in newness of life. We've been united with him through his death and resurrection. And because of this, we shall also live with him we are dead to sin but we are alive to god in christ jesus and as for god our father ah, i mean he's just that right he is our father he is our abba he is our daddy he chose you for adoption as his son or daughter before the foundation of the world, friends. Ephesians 1 and verse 5 tells us that he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. He is the supreme creator of all things, including you. And because of this, he knows everything about you. He knows all of your needs. He knows all of your wants. He knows all of your desires. And he knows exactly, exactly, precisely what is best for you. He wants what's best for you. 
And this brings us to the first three of five encouragements that focus on what God and His Son have already done for you as a believer. And the first is this, love. Love. They have loved you. He says, may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father who has loved us. And this goes back again to eternity past when God, before you were even created, chose you as His predestined elect for salvation. And then, of course, he formed you at some point in your mother's womb, right? He, he, you were born. And then at some point in time, even while you were a sinner in rebellion against him, he brought your election to fruition by saving you through his son. He forgave your sins and he gave you that awesome, incredible promise of eternal life with he and his son. Romans 5 and verse 8 tells us, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And the Father and the Son love you, friends. They love you with an agape love, the kind of love that that does what is absolutely right for you. I love the song, The Love of God. It just has some tremendous lyrics. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and it reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. Referring to Adam and Eve, the guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son, capital S, gave his son to win his erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. Oh, love of God, how rich and pure. How measureless and strong it shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. And then just let me give you verse 3. This is, this, these are some beautiful words. Could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill? And every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Let us not forget, friends, the tremendous promise of of a passage like Romans 8, 35 to 39, which says, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, just as it is written, for your sake we are put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, all of your, I'm I'm putting in parentheses here, right? All of your trials, all of your tribulations, all of your difficulties, all of your troubles, through all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord.
Second encouragement that the Father and Son have already given to you. They have given you eternal comfort. This word comfort there, we've had it many times in, in, in our Thessalonians passages. It's that parakalesis, parakaleo. It's the word we use for the Holy Spirit that the Scripture uses for the Holy Spirit as our capital C, comforter. And why do we need eternal comfort? Because the only other option, friends, is eternal torment and eternal death. Living forever in the very real places of hell and the lake of fire. Where the worm does not die and where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. But you see, for those of us who understand the truth about heaven and hell and how close we were to suffering eternally and being comforted now with the promise of our heavenly eternal existence in the presence of our Lord and with all of His glory and power. This is something to rejoice over. I don't know how much any of you have given thought to the possibility of living in hell or the lake of fire for all eternity. It should scare the socks off you. It is nothing to trifle or joke about. Oh, yeah, I'd rather go to hell and party with my pals and, you know, go to heaven and sit in some cloud strumming a harp. You know, the first time that I was confronted with the idea of hell being a very real place that I thought I may be going to was when Julie and I sat right over there right over there and watched a drama production that we had here at the church called Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames. It, 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 by, by the end of it, we were just both like, that, I, that, that, I, I think that's me. I think that's me. And we sat there together and at the same time gave our lives to Christ. Friends, this life dishes out much that's uncomfortable. But you see, when we have something so incredible to look forward to, when we have this amazing future to look forward to, we can get through a lot. And we can deal with the worst. I mean, think about this for a moment. The... the the worst trials and tribulations and difficulties and distresses and pains and sufferings that you will ever experience will be in this life. This life. But for those who have no eternal comfort, the best they will ever experience, the best they will ever experience will be in this life. This life. It's the rich man and poor begging Lazarus. Both die, but while Lazarus is taken to the paradise of Abraham's bosom, the rich man is taken to the hell of Hades. And after the rich man begs Abraham to have mercy on him, Abraham replied, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things. And likewise, Lazarus bad things. But now he is being comforted 
here. And you are in agony. Friends, like the the poor man, we too have the Lord's eternal comfort. The comfort that tells us that when this life has dealt us its final blow, we will glory with the Lord in his forever kingdom. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets before you. The third encouragement that we as believers have already received from the Lord is good hope. Good hope. This phrase, good hope, was actually used by non-Christian writers to refer to life after death. And for them, that would have been like, oh, hope. I hope. I hope there's something else. I hope there's something else after this life. But here in our text, it's described as the good hope by grace. The good hope by grace, reminding us that the hope we have from the Father and from the Son is not anything we can work for. It's not anything we can earn, but it is solely by their benevolent hands. Good, signifying the best. The most distinguished, most excellent hope. And hope being of the eternal variety. It's not to be understood as in I I hope that there's a heaven. I hope I get to go there. Hope is not some hope as in I hope I win the lottery. Forget it. It's not some kind of wishful but uncertain hope but rather it is a rock solid promise of god titus 3 5 to 7 tells us he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness but according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the holy spirit whom he poured out upon us richly through jesus christ our savior so that being justified by his grace we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Promise of eternal life. Peter in 1 Peter 1 and verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living, what? Hope. Hope. Promise. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. When Sir Michael Faraday, a Christian and renowned British scientist of electromagnetism, was dying, some journalists questioned him as to his speculations for a life after death. Speculations, he said. I know nothing about speculations, I am resting on certainties. Certainties, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and because he lives, I shall live also. Now we move on to our last couple of encouragements. And there's a little bit of a change here, because these first three were were those things that, that 
we have already received from God because of our salvation. And now Paul asks God to supply these last two as needed for those that are suffering as needed for whatever good work and good word we might do and say while being afflicted with the difficulties of life. So number four is comfort. You go, oh, wait a minute. Didn't we just talk about comfort? Yes, but it was specifically about eternal comfort, again, that comes with our salvation and, and what is the promise for us for the future. And though this is the same word family here, parakaleo, this is God's comfort that somebody would need even on a daily basis to help and sustain them. To help and sustain the Thessalonians during their persecutions, afflictions, and sufferings. And would sustain us through our difficulties of life, through every good work and every good word. So what are these these good works and good words? It's simply faithfully living out your Christian life. It's walking in a manner worthy of your calling, doing everything for the glory of God. But you see, in their case, again, it's all the while enduring persecution and affliction and the suffering that they were going through. So please turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians Sorry, chapter 3. I thought that was wrong when I looked down. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We'll be picking up in verse 3. Sorry. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, picking up in verse 3. I'm like, does this match? Okay, yes. (laughs) This is, friends, this is the monumental comfort passage, okay? I'm going to read it and just make some brief comments Along the way, Paul says this to the church at Corinth, chapter 1, 2 Corinthians, beginning at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all, what? Comfort. Comfort. Paul blesses God for his mercy and comfort. And how often, friends, do we receive the mercies of God. Lamentations is pretty doggone clear. Chapter 3, verse 22 to 23 tells us they are new every morning. And mind you, this again is the supernatural comfort because it is comfort coming from a supernatural being, namely God. God the Father, it is, it is a comfort far superior to any kind of comfort you might find in the world. He continues in verse 4, who comforts us in all our affliction. Friends, it's a done deal. Your comfort is a done deal. You don't even have to ask God for his comfort. He will naturally give it to you while being afflicted. He will render it whenever you need it for every trial, every tribulation, every difficulty, every persecution, every pain, and every suffering. 
And what's amazing about how God works is that he has an ulterior motive along with bringing you comfort during your trials. Continue on in verse 4. So that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. I mean, did you get that? It's because it's incredible. He comforts us in our affliction so that we can turn around and comfort others in their afflictions. Verse five, for just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance. ah, That doesn't sound so good, right? Doesn't sound like a lot of fun. But we're reminded, friends, that as much as we feel like we're suffering, Christ suffered more. He suffered more. So also our comfort is abundant through Christ. As much as you suffer like Christ suffered, your comfort will be abundant through Christ. As much comfort is needed for whatever affliction or suffering you might have to endure or are enduring, comfort will be given to you abundantly through Christ. Look at verse 6. But if we, Paul's referring to himself and the other apostles, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Let me put in parentheses here because Paul and company are suffering their afflictions for the good of the Corinthians. He says, or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings, which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that you, knowing that as you are sharers of our sufferings, so also you are sharers of our comfort. In other words, friends, as the body of Christ, we all share in each other's afflictions and comforts. As we patiently endure, when one is afflicted, the other comforts. And then when when that one who has been comforted, then they can turn around and they can offer comfort to somebody else who is afflicted. And it just keeps going and going and going and going. Now, something we learn from this is 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 too that that we have to be careful and, and not necessarily try and stop the affliction at all cost. I'm I'm suffering. I'm being afflicted. This does not feel good. I I hate it. I hate it. I am going to do anything in my power to stop this. This doesn't mean that we can't pray and ask God for relief or even to remove the affliction. But if he says no, like he did to Paul, when Paul asked three times to have this thorn in his flesh removed, then friends, we need to have patient endurance. And we need to allow for God's supernatural comfort to come. We should never sin in trying to stop our affliction. Pick back up in verse 8. Paul says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death, and will deliver us, he on whom we have set our hope. And he will yet deliver us 
You also joining and helping us through your prayers so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. Paul and company had so great an affliction that they were actually burdened excessively. They had no strength, even despairing for their lives. This is the apostle Paul, one of the greatest men of the faith. And God allowed all of this. He allowed it all so that they would trust in him and not in themselves. This is similar to Paul's thorn in the flesh experience that taught him that God's grace is sufficient. And furthermore, that power is actually perfected in our weakness. For when we are weak, then we are truly strong through Christ. He says, most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses and with the insults and with distresses and with persecutions and with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And furthermore, in 2 Corinthians 1, God did deliver them. And Paul knows that God will continue to do so because they have set their hope on him. And then finally, he mentions prayer and how the other believers prayed for Paul and and, and the rest of them. And how because of this, God gets even more glory than from many other people. I know sometimes it's tough to offer up our lives in need of prayer. But when you do that and everybody starts praying for you, then more glory goes to God. Don't rob him of his glory. Isn't it wonderful when prayers are answered and God delivers us from our afflictions and sufferings in this life? Yes, praise the Lord indeed. And our last encouragement, friends, that Paul prays for in this daily ongoing way is for strength, for strength. Back in Second Thessalonians, he, he says, for comfort and strength in your hearts in every good work and word. Paul prays for the strengthening of the Thessalonians' hearts as they endure their persecution and their affliction and their suffering. And strength here, it means to, to stand, to set fast, to fix firmly in the mind and heart. It's resolve. It's determination. It's an ability to hold fast or to press on, to move forward. It can enable someone to do the seemingly impossible or endure the unimaginable. When I get to heaven, I want to talk to some of the martyrs. I want to talk to some of those early century martyrs, like the ones that we read about in Fox's Book of Martyrs, those who were jailed, those who were told to recant of their Christian faith or be killed. And, and we're not talking, you know, easy peasy killing. We're talking about hanging, decapitation, being burned at the stake. That one just bulls me over. 
Because I want to ask them. I want to know. I want to know about the supernatural strengthening of their hearts that they received from the Lord that enabled them to say their good words and to do their good works knowing it was going to bring about their death and an extremely violent or excruciating painful death at that. I want to know about the strength that God provided them. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 18. Psalm 18, this is, oh, these are some of the sweetest words of strengthening I think we can find from the psalmist, David. Psalm 18, just verses 1 to 6. And here's what's cool is before we get to verse 1, the, the little bit that I'm going to read here, it's actually part of the text. It is, it is part of God's authoritative word when it says, For the choir director, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who spoke to the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. If you remember, Saul chased him, was hunting him down, seemingly over several years, trying to kill him. And he said, verse 1, I love you, O Lord, my strength. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me and the torrents of ungodliness terrified me. The cords of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried to my God for help. He heard my voice out of his temple and my cry for help before him came into his ears. Excuse me. Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 11, Paul writes, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. So so then, friends, this strengthening, Ephesians 6, 10 to 11, also comes from the, the different pieces of divine armor that is available to the believer to put on truth and righteousness and the gospel of peace and faith and salvation and the word of God and prayer. These so that you can stand and be strengthened and resist the devil. We'll, we'll read in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3. But the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. In First Peter, we read, Peter speaks of the strength which God supplies. And then in chapter 5, verse 10, After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, 
who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. He will give you his comfort, his supernatural comfort, and his supernatural strength for all of life's difficulties, trials, and troubles. As we start to wind things down here, let me just take you back for a second to the rich man and Lazarus because there's something else that I I want you to see from this parable. And that's the fact that for, for this poor man, Lazarus, covered in sores, and it's the fact that for Lazarus, things didn't get better for him in this life. They didn't. Right? He suffered until he died. It wasn't until then that he experienced the glories of Abraham's bosom, paradise, that things truly changed for him. And I think we sometimes feel like, probably if we don't acknowledge it, maybe in our subconscious or, or something, that, that, that we think God should only allow a certain amount of suffering in our lives. Okay, God, it's been six months. It's been a year, two years, three. It's been five years, God. It's been ten years, How much longer, Lord, how much longer must I suffer? How much longer must I endure? And I know that there are those of you right now who are going through exactly this. Exactly this. Maybe you're at the beginning of your trial, your difficulty, your suffering. Maybe maybe it's been a matter of weeks or months for you. And maybe it's going to be a matter of years. Brother, brother in the Lord recently said to me, I just, I feel like I'm getting hit with wave after wave after wave. And just when I feel the bottom, I kind of try to get my my footing, my bearing and stand up and get, get a gasp of air. Slam, I get hit by another wave. And it's not just one, but then I, there's a whole series and they just keep pummeling me. And while on one hand we recognize that sin is in the world and with it comes destruction and with it comes suffering and with it comes difficulty and and sometimes wave after wave after wave for believer and unbeliever alike. And and one of the struggles that we, we might have is then when we also, during this time, we look at passages like Matthew 7, 7 to 11, which tells us, Jesus telling us, ask and it will be be given to you seek and you will find knock and it will be open to you for everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be opened or what man is there among you who when his son asks for a loaf will give him a stone or if he asks for a fish will he not give him a, he will not give him a snake will he if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask Him? 
And you might be thinking, well, yeah. And the things that I'm asking for are good. I mean, God, it's not good to have cancer. Right? Disease is not good. Broken relationships aren't good. To be without work is not good. Struggling with mental health issues is not good. To be unjustly accused of something is not good. Persecution is not good. Being in poverty or without food or shelter is not good. So, Lord, I don't get it because I think I'm praying for things that would be good. But nothing's happening. Nothing's changing. It's just wave after wave after wave of trouble. Friends, we have to turn to the Scripture in these times. We, 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 we have to know and trust that, that your suffering is not in vain. For James tells us to consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Or 1 Peter 1, verses 6 to 9, when Peter says, In this you greatly rejoice. He's referring to the verses before we talked about just the glories of your salvation. You greatly rejoice in those glories, even though now, for a little while, if necessary, and by the way, that little while could mean the rest of your life. But this life is but a vapor. It's that, it's that, it's nothing. Before you're thrust into eternity. So that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is your praise, your glory, and your honor that he's talking about when you're with Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible. And full of glory, obtaining as the 